I'm Ninja Sister. And I'm Pandalicious. And this is the Ashcast. This is Electric Sisterhood, podcast episode number 631. I like layers in my cake, but not in my fear. This is Electric Sisterhood, home of the original, the fucking original, Girl Gaming Tech Gadget and Anime Podcast. I am Ninja Sister. And I'm Pandalicious. Welcome to a brand new episode of our weekly podcast, Panda. Hello, sister. Hello, sister. How are you doing? I am... Well, if I'm honest, I'm so mad right now. But for the interest of the show, I'm doing great. Right, right. Because you got a lot of things going on. You're getting ready to move into a new place. Yep, I'm in, I'm in my office at my soon-to-be-no-longer house. It's just me and my desk, and it's very echoey in here because all the stuff I had in here is now in boxes. And it's just, it's... Some, it's but it's, it's big life moves. Yeah, it is. Because I'm, we're we're moving obviously into a bigger house with a lot more space. I'll actually be able to really design my office to be the space where I will do this. Our soon to be talked about next projects, and yeah. also my my venturing into the you know streaming space where I will do let's plays and stuff like that. Yeah. I'm very excited about it. I'm anxious about it. But, I mean, I'm human, so that that's just kind of how humans be sometimes. Yeah. But it's it's a it's a closing of a chapter and an opening of a new one. So, like, I, I look forward to see what, what happens in this next chapter of my life. And I think this is actually I, the first real big first actual move for me. Right. Because, I mean, I've I've moved from house to house before, but, like, I took literally, like, maybe three backpacks and then eventually went back for my dog. I've never broken down a house and my life and relocated it before in a serious way. And this is, like, the first real big one for me. And I think, like, the only big things that, like, you need to keep in mind is do you have enough bandwidth? When are you getting your internet? And uh, how dope are you going to make your stream space? Like, that's really like Well, the... I mean, I'm kind of glad that you brought that up. I think when I moved into this office, yeah, this is where I do my podcast. Yeah, but I never invested in its growth. It, it was mm-hmm. just a space where I did this thing. And literally, literally, as we were going through picking out, you know, our now next home, which will be our home for a while, I, I anticipate. Mm-hmm. I literally was like, so which room is going to be my office? Because, I mean, we're entertaining progeny, like, ew, I know, gross, breeders, whatever. You know, and eventually I want <laughs> there to be a space for an esh prodigy, an esh heir to arise. But, like... It's not going to be something that happens immediately. So I want, like, I want a space that could be for an offspring, but I also want a me space. 
Because right. I mean, the the house we're in now is is like a ranch, so like it, it's cute and it's simple. And for a couple that don't have kids but have like several fur babies, like it it was a nice run of the mill. But right. most of the house, I mean, because my husband had a house before this one, like most of the stuff in there here was his. And I didn't right. bring a lot when I moved out of my family home. So like this is going to be our first real our home. Mm-hmm. So I want a lot more of me to be expressed in its layout and its decor. And like I want right. it to feel like, oh, this is this is our house and not just a place that I go and I have a room for me. And you know, I think we're going to end up having two offices, but I really want my office to reflect, you know, all the things that I do. And, you know, I really want to take a stronger interest in, like I said earlier, you know, let, you know, let's plays. And I mean, I want, I want an echo gear set up for some monitors. Mm-hmm. I want, I want two monitors. I want my new computer, which I know you're going to get me. Yep. So like that's going to happen and I want I want to have a separate setup for my audio stuff but I want it to be relatively close enough to like I could swing my mic over and then right. be doing my let's play stuff. I've actually been really trying to map all this out and I've been using the Sims to allow me to do that which I <laughs> like, like I literally I knew the Sims were going to come in here someplace no, no, I just but, didn't know where. No, and literally like that's the only thing. I literally used it to build as accurate to however the game will allow me my next house to put all my shit in. Like I literally used it as like an inventory list that I can play afterwards. And I was actually doing my, my studio in that game. And granted, obviously it won't look anything like the Sims one, but like the spacing Mm -hmm. of where everything is, is, is accurate to where I think I'm going to do it in my actual life. But it's just like, wow, it's like all these possibilities. They're all like right here. And it's it's pretty amazing. But yeah, life. You know, I, I think that that's a thing that a lot of people don't initially think about, but are starting to do a little bit more when they're thinking about the space, not just being just their refuge from reality and their daily life, but also, you know, creating a, a game space or an entertainment, you know, space in their home that that is a reflection of them. But also, you know, for people who, you know, like you and I are, you know, making, uh, working on our way, I'll say, to make the transition to doing, you know, video and streaming of, you know, how do you set up your your office or that space for producing the best best uh, yes, producing, I said producing breasts. the breasts. The best. That's the title of content. this episode. <laughs> producing the breasts. Um, and this is why I should, this is what happens when I don't drink before a podcast. Coffee, water, not those things. Pick them. Uh, any of those things would have been better than, than not dry. Producing the best quality, you know, content. I think one of the things that I've been very mindful of is especially for people, you know, starting out in streaming, it it feels like because technology is so much more accessible, there are some really great tutorials on YouTube and just on the web in general about how to soundproof areas or how to think of lighting. When I think of the early days of you know, Let's Plays on YouTube and on Twitch. And if I'm saying early days, I'm going to say Justin TV, right? Like when you think about the the early people coming in, people weren't starting with green screen. People weren't starting with cam view. People weren't starting with great lighting or good sound. And now you look at, you know, the field and Elgato sells a kit for like, 
I think it's like 250 bucks total. That is a Elgato capture bridge, a green screen, and their software to get you started to, to stream. Like that that's an affordable kit for many people. When you think of, you know, the economies of scale, you're talking four games. Right. Yeah. To actually be able to do a, a studio level production, you know, right out the gate. And the Elgato software lets you stream to everything you'd want to stream to. You can stream to Mixer, you can stream to Twitch, you can stream to YouTube, and you can stream to Facebook. So the cost barrier that used to be very high to get into producing high quality content video is much lower now. And so it's much more accessible. You know, there are more and more audio companies that are getting into you know, producing what I call prosumer level gear to do content creation. Sennheiser is coming to the market with gaming headsets with microphones, and you know, Sennheiser. You know, I'm really, audio. I'm surprised it took them this long because they've they've always been one of the tops in terms of you know audio headsets. Right for, when it comes to head headphones, yeah, yeah. but not headsets. And now they're doing you know gaming headsets. They've got gaming mouse pads for PC players. You know, the nice big size ones. You know, you have Audio Technica. You know, they were at PAX East and they were showing off their gaming headsets as well, primarily aimed at PC players. Yeah, but but but, but most headsets start in PC first. Absolutely. But this is Audio Technica coming into this prosumer level place where, you know, Audio Technica, I would say, has been an, an audiophiles brand for a long time. Yep. You know, you've and, talked about and, it several times. Yes, off, off I, I love audio. Like, as far as like listening to to music or movies i have nothing but amazing things to say for the products that audio technica puts out on the market for headphones for like hands down probably one of my top five favorite brands and as you guys know i'm a huge audiophile oh you are I, you've been i have lots of headphones and you I only have two ears it doesn't make sense I, to me i know my my, my husband <laughs> says that all the time you have two ears why do you have 12 pairs of headphones i'm like well well this one's for my audio for this. this one's for my this vinyl for this, this one's for my media this, this is for my to go this this is my backup gaming headset this is my travel headset this is my travel and i want to sleep headset <laughs> this is my <laughs> a headset for headset. every occasion i almost have a headset for every occasion but this it's my headset have, for weddings it's it's really this is my chic. headset for weddings when the dj sucks <laughs> <laughs> you know it's important that you know if you're going to be spending the dollars that you're getting the experience out of things that you want right but i i do think that you know setting up a studio and i kind of think of it more as a studio now than an office like one of the things that i'm working on is i too am also looking to move out of the house that i'm currently in into someplace else and one of the considerations that i have is that i am trying to find a place that you know within my budget is for bedrooms so that i can have my husband's office separate from my studio uh, I used to say my office, but I now say my studio separate from my guest room and from from our main uh, master bedroom because I do plan to stream. And there are some some things that I am considering in the stream room that I want, you know, to to build in before I go live. I want to do some soundproofing. 
I definitely want to do some decoration because I am going to be on cam. Uh, I've already purchased the the webcam. I do have an Echo Gear dual monitor mounting system I that one. I absolutely love. I highly recommend it. It's super easy to put together. I'm actually going to be putting out a video later this month uh, showing uh, how I went through the process so that you guys can have a, a, a good understanding of it. But it really is super easy. Uh, I've got a couple of Spectra mounters, uh, monitors mounted to it. Uh, one is a 27-inch and the other one is a 22-inch that I can pivot on its side. So I have one vertical monitor and then I have one horizontal monitor. The horizontal is for playing. The vertical is for watching chat and engaging with chat. And my tests with with that setup has worked out pretty well. Um, I've gotten to a, to a pretty comfortable space working with them, which I think is really fantastic. But I am looking at, okay, what's the right amount of soundproofing given the size of the space? You know, I'm, I'm very focused on the shape of the room to make sure that I can account for light the way that I want to, that I can decorate it. Because I do think, for me, when I watch streams, I kind of like when people are doing cam view. So it's when you can see the player in their natural environment, so you can see their reactions and uh, see them in a picture-in-picture type window uh, on top of the gameplay of the the game that they're they're going through. I, I like it more when, when I'm looking at the cam view of the player, when I can kind of see some of the the nerdy decorations or game stuff or just a little bit better detail of their space. And I tend to be more entertained when I can see that their space is decorated and not just like, oh, here's every plushie I have on the planet, but like here's a little taste of like the types of things that I enjoy. So like they have a of some, you know, figures and some merch or whatever from, you know, games that they enjoy all arranged kind of in a way. I really kind of like that, especially when it's lit well. You know, one of my favorites... Uh, streamers that that does this really well, I think, is Matthias. You know, if you've ever watched Dope or Nope, I love the way that the room that they're in is always decorated and how they incorporate some of the things that they review into the space after in subsequent videos. So it's kind of like a little Easter egg for people who've been viewing for a long time to be like, oh, I remember what episode that thing was in that they reviewed and those kinds of things. So so I, I am thinking about this space a little bit more. And it's also obvious to me when I see streamers and I see their spaces that they've had those same considerations, right? Because that's part of the story and part of the aesthetic. Right. And it, and it also lets me see a little bit of your personality, especially when I think it's important for people who are just starting in streaming that are trying to develop that personality. It's a nice, easy way to kind of present it. I did some videos early on where I had built a wall out of all of my... 360 game cases that was behind me and I I made sure when I laid out the games that I laid out my favorite games of all time in the rows that were next to my head so that whenever you were seeing me play and I would do a close-up or whatever I would also have those games that were really important to me close up so I was always kind of conveying a, this is who I am and this is what I enjoy and so like here's how you can get to know me where I'm not having a one-on-one conversation with you so I think it's smart that as I crack jokes about it to to be laying some things out and trying to figure out you know before you get into the space kind of where you want things to be and how you want to lay them out because it's important that when you're creating your creator space that it's functional for you, but also fun for you. Because if you're doing it right, you're going to be in there for hours upon hours at a time. You really want to be doing that in a space that is comfortable for you and that it 
is as much of a joy and energy builder for you to be in and do the things that you're going to be doing in that space as it is for people watching you in that space. So, you know, I crack the jokes, but I do think it's really cool that you're, you're, you know, testing some things out in the Sims to, to figure out your spacing. Cause it's really important. I didn't know that a dual monitor setup really would make that big of a difference until I put mine together. And then I started thinking about, okay, I did some test video and I looked at, you know, okay, I don't want my webcam here. Cause I actually want it here. Cause I I think that this is a more flattering angle and if I'm going to put the cam here then I need another source of light not just the normal source of light that comes in through the windows and even my overhead because it creates some really nasty shadows and you, if I turn a certain way you can't really see me so you know I got a uh, external light kit and that started to make a difference so it was a lot of trial and error and I think one thing that I would say to anybody that's looking to get into streaming is you don't have to be on cam and you don't have to get all these things to stream. But I do think that if for you, you want it to grow someday beyond a hobby, definitely check out some of the options that are out there. You know, start taking stock and reviewing some of your favorite you know, content creators. What are they doing? What do you really like about their setup? What do you like about, you know, their their shows and what they're putting out? Is it the games? Is it their personality? Do they crack jokes? Is it their lighting? Are they using a system where they're, you know, bouncing back and forth between seeing them full cam and then seeing them picture in picture to just seeing the game? Because there, there are tools out there to do all those things. As I start to work and set up my new studio, one of the things that I will be doing is I will be purchasing uh, the Elgato stream deck okay which if you're not familiar with that it's a piece of hardware that connects physically to your computer that you're running your stream capture and broadcast software through Uh, so it works with obs it obviously works with um, the elgato system you got to do a bunch of workarounds to get it to work with obs but you can but it works with the elgato software as well and it allows you to set up scenes. And so you can basically prefigure what scenes you want to cut between and trigger them by a press of a button on this hardware device, as opposed to having to take time away from your game to then mouse over and pick a new scene and then come back. You can basically set up these hotkeys. It's it's a spe- specified hotkey thing. Um, but it allows you to, because the keys are LED, to customize them with images so you can make it very visual so that as you're holding the controller and playing, you can have the stream deck next to you and have all, you know, three or four or eight of your scenes set up to trigger and you can put your custom images on it. So if you have your own images or GIFs or emotes or whatever, you can set them to those buttons. And after you've configured your scenes with a tap of a button, you can switch. So let's say you want to set up a scene that, you know, just has the game full screen. Then you want a scene that has the game and your cam and your cam in like the upper left corner. And then you want a scene that's just going to be, you know, full screen use, you want to go to like a big react or something like that. Okay. Now you don't have to be looking at the Elgato software and mousing over to change from scene to scene. You'll have those hotkeys that on that device that you can just put right below your hand where you're going to be holding your controller. So you can, as you're playing, decide, Ooh, I want to switch stream. You can just look down, tap a button, go back and continue to be playing. So it takes a lot of time and allows you to just make a more seamless, more professional feeling looking program. And that's one of the things that I want to be able to do. I want to be able to kind of jump back and forth between me full screen being able to talk to my audience versus me just like playing the game 
at versus, you know, just the game running. And so to do that, I did my research and I found that the best solution for me for being able to do those things would be the Elgato Stream Deck. And now they've come out with a even more affordable one. I think it's like $60. They call it the Stream Deck Mini. And it just has four scenes. So if you're not going to be doing complicated scene brushes, you know, for 60 bucks, that's a really low cost barrier to overcome to be able to create, you know, the kind of program and content that you want to be able to create. And I really like that. I like that there are so many more tools coming to the platforms, both on console and on PC to make it more accessible for gamers to really share this thing that we enjoy, which is gaming and present it in a way that is entertaining for people to watch as it is entertaining for us to actually deliver and do. I couldn't have said it better myself. Well, I hadn't planned on saying it, but I think that it's a it's a really cool thing because it's it's one of the things that, you know, I've been really focused on, you know, as as we've been talking about, you know, the video project that we're working on. And there's more news to come on that, guys. So when we're closer, we'll share all the details. But, you know, as I've been thinking about the best ways to deliver that product, it's really been what's going to make it easiest for us to actually execute, how we're going to put the best video out What's the right platform to do it? What's the right cadence to do it? What do I want my space to look like? You know, how do I want to present, you know, my games that I'm going to be playing to people? What do I think is really entertaining? What would I tune into? And then how do I frame that and bring that into being? And that's really important because I think when you're going from it just being a hobby and a thing that I can just like turn on my my PlayStation and I can hit broadcast now, which I can absolutely do. Or I can turn on my Xbox and go right over to broadcast now and broadcast now. And and I and I can plug a webcam into my Xbox and I, and I can have, you know, simple overlay, simple cam, you know, use the mic on my headset and I can be streaming, but that's not the product that at the end of the day I really want to put out. It's what I want probably I'm going to start with for sure. But I'm thinking about how I want it to grow and how I want to bring it into a branded thing. Because for me, it's not going to be a thing I do every once in a while. This is more than a hobby for me. And just like for you, I know it's more than a hobby. It's something that we're very passionate about. So I do want to be able to level it up and level it up and bring it up to, you know, the level of some of my favorite streamers across, you know, multiple platforms. Like if uh, if you have never checked out Moto on Mixer... I highly recommend that you do. Jen is actually a a very good friend of mine, and I love her streams. And I've watched her streams grow from what she was doing originally with Girl Tribe Gaming to what she's doing now on Moto. You can just go to watchmixer.com slash Moto. Check out her streams. She streams constantly all the time. But she's just really involved with the community. She plays a lot of really diverse games, you know, stuff from kid-friendly all the way up. You know, and does a really good job of interacting with the community. She's got a great personality and she produces a really great show. You know, there are times that she goes full screen, times that she's just playing the game and times that she's got cam going on. She's got a great set of moderators, just, you know, all the things that like I want to aspire to deliver ultimately in my product. They're they're all inspirations I take from Jen Stream because I really love Jen Stream. Even when she's playing games that I have no interest in because of her personality and the way that it's presented, it's an entertaining show. And so that's why I like to tune in and watch. And ultimately, that's what I think 
everybody who gets into streaming wants to do. We want to create something and deliver something that's entertaining to watch. And so just do your research, check out things, but definitely like scope out your space. Make sure that you're picking a space that's going to be good for you to stream in, that you've got good light. And if you don't have good light, you can get good lights. Lights I mean, and that's if, and that's if you're going to be like on cam. Yeah, absolutely. Because, you know, there, there are many successful streamers out there that you never see. So, right. You know, it, so it always just depends on what, what you want to create. You know, some of my favorite walkthroughs, you know, I've never seen what the person creating that walkthrough actually looks like because they're so focused on the game and just doing the walkthrough. But their personality right. and how they describe the game is great. I don't really need to see them. And you don't have to be no. you know, on cam if you're doing Let's Plays either. That's very but, true. Determine what it is that you want to do and then do your research to make sure that you're building and getting the right tools to deliver that. I was playing around once a couple of times on my PS4 with the ability to, you know, stream to Twitch while you're playing a game. And I mean, I was doing it on my Fridays off because I have like every other Friday off the way that my uh, work schedule is. And I had the ability to put my my camera on, but it was, you know, eight in the morning, you know, Eastern Eastern time. So I was like, no, I just want to play around with this. And I highly doubt even when this goes up that people are even going to see the notice that someone's playing X, Y, or Z. So I wasn't anticipating that anyone would actually like watch me. And I was playing um, Detroit. <laughs> mm-hmm. become human and i was pretty much wrapping up on um one of the storylines and you know i have my headphone on and i'm like can I, can I i just wanted to try this i was like i'm gonna talk as if i know there are people watching me even though i can see the number and there's no one but i'm gonna talk that way because you know if someone comes in and i'm not saying anything well that seemed kind of silly but then also talking to yourself also sounds silly but then this is panda we're talking about and i talk about myself and to myself, a lot. I need more friends. Yep. So, so this actually became very natural to me to just talk as if I'm talking to a room of people who are eating every word that I have to say. I think I streamed for about six hours that day. And I think by the end of it, I had about 200 or so who were, who were listening. And like one was my husband, but I knew that because he just kept saying one-liners that I clearly knew were things that... Only him and I would know. <laughs> but the other 199, I, I didn't know who they were. I didn't know if they were friends of mine. None of them ever said anything. One one person did reach out after, and I don't remember what her handle was, but she was out in Croatia. And she's like, are you going to do this, like, full time? And I was like, I was just playing around with it today. I wasn't, I wasn't really strongly entertaining it. She's like, well, I'm subscribing to you, and I hope that you do, because you are funny as all get out. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's like the sweetest thing I think I've ever heard. And I mean, he, I think I'm funny, but most times people don't often tell me I'm funny. And I mean, I, I know I had a couple you funny. of funny. I'm funny sometimes. Like, I'm a situational funny. Mm. I have a lot of people who are like, you should you should do stand up comedy. And I'm like, I, I think I have the energy to be a stand up comedian. However, I don't think I've ever written a joke before. I do write and I do enjoy writing, but I don't think I've ever constructed a set before and established that before. It's always just something that happened and I could run with it. Kind of improv but not exactly. I, I see that there's like roadblocks in that. And I mean, I'm just sitting there playing this game and I'm like, yep, I'm Connor. I'm the perfect AI and nothing can ever fault me. Oh, yes, I'm going to do everything. You know, and I'm just being me. 
and people really responded to that. Yeah. And I was like, okay, well, I could pr- I could probably swing this. And I'm like, and I, I've, we've been doing this show for, what, 13 years? Our show's yep. old enough to hate me and tell me it hates yeah. me, like, every day. So, yeah, yeah. so, like, and if I could deal with that for 13 years, then I could, I could do this. This could be well, something. I mean, I, I think, you know, it really just depends on, like, the type of comedy you want to do, right? Because I think both you and I... We've cracked so many people up just telling stories because we're storytellers. Yeah, we're storytellers. And when we're together, we tell stories together. It's unfucking believable. Really well. So I think if it was approached from that kind of angle of like, we're just going to tell our stories together, I think like it would just be like crazy ass funny. I can't remember a time where you and I were together and we didn't tell a story and people weren't just laughing their asses off. I think one, so, I always have to tell people, you know, when I tell people stories of, like, my life, they're like, there's no way that that's real. I'm like, oh, no, this is real. Right. And granted, I completely understand if you walk away saying, you know what, Panda's full of shit. If I was on the outside listening to the story, I would think it was shit, too. Right. Believe right. you me. <laughs> I I wish I were lying to you. <laughs> if you approach it as not writing jokes, but just writing a story that you mm. wanted to tell and the way that you would tell it, I think that it would definitely come off. Maybe. Comedic, comedic. So I mean, when when we start launching these these video projects that like we've, yeah. we keep hinting about, yes, you're you're probably gonna see a hint, little hint, bit hint hint. You're gonna see a little bit of me playing around with that concept a little bit. But mm-hmm. I mean, like that first little baby experiment, maybe strongly believe like okay, there's there's some validity here. I could mm-hmm. I could I could try this. I could yeah. I could try to make this a thing. I'm in fact going to do that. So you'll see that down the pipeline yes. soonish, yes. maybe eventually. Soonish. Soonish. But anyway, so that was a nice hike down tangent lane today. Well, when it goes over ten minutes, it's no longer a tangent, it's a segment. It's a segment. <laughs> it's a segment. I hate to be that sister. And by that, I mean, I don't really hate it, but I want to seem polite. So I'm going to say it that way. But I kind of want to go first in so my actual So you're going to go first because I tend to run my mouth like way too much. Yeah. So, I mean, and I mean, I only I have one topic today, really. So, um, and I mean. Bring it. Okay. So, and I, I, I wanted to end on like a lower note so that if you. Wait, is your topic higher or lower? Because. My topic's higher. Okay, yeah. So I want to bring us down a little bit so that you can bring us back up and we can end on a positive. Yay! Because we like doing that here on Ish. Exactly. Like I've said in, like, these last 630 episodes that, like, I am a big fan of, like, survival horror games and escapist horror games and any new genre of horror game that comes out, I'm always kind of curious about it and how it's going to, you know, frame or build on the genre as a whole. This game, I've actually, I don't think I've ever really talked about it on the show because I did play it, but I didn't know how I felt about it after I played it. And I mean, it's a cult classic. A lot of people really gravitate towards it. The reason I'm bringing it up is Mm -hmm. we got more news about its sequel at PAX East this year. Back in 2016, we got a game called Layers of Fear, which you saw a whole bunch of people on YouTube, you know, streaming their playthroughs of this game, which kind of reminded people of... Amnesia? Yes, Amnesia, The Dark Descent. I just want to say that I got it before you did, and I don't even play these games. (laughs) Amnesia. I didn't didn't play Amnesia. (laughs) 
<laughs> I watched a whole bunch of people. I like to sleep. sleep at night, so I didn't play it. I, or I shouldn't say that. I, I played the beginning of Amnesia and then went, nope, nobody, nope, nope, nope. And then watched <laughs> a bunch of people play it and then went, yes, 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 and yes. I, but I did play Layers of Fear. So in, in Players of Fear, you are, you play as this artist and he's, he's tortured because, you know, artists, they're tortured all the time. They're blah, tortured. Blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And he is returning home after this court case and he's trying to work on his magnum opus. It's this old Victorian house. It's kind of disheveled. Like it is not well kept. I don't think he's keeping any staff. But one room is like utterly pristine and it's the room that he he does his art in. He literally is going mad while he's painting. And like he's going through his house to grab all of his stuff, you know, to help get inspired for this magnum opus because this thing is going to be his greatest accomplishment and contribution to, to art. And you're actually living through what has led him down this descent into his own personal madness. And you you see the story of, you know, a happy man with a wife and then the baby comes and but he's still so focused on his passion and you know, he's doing all these odd jobs here and there, but like nothing that's really engaging him. And you start, he starts seeing his art with less value. Things become more twisted. Like his art expression is starting to twist and form. And because he's become so obsessed with achieving that greatness that he believes that he has inside. And it gets to a point where, you know, he's drinking a lot. So he does have this dependency that is also crippling him and also hindering him to, you know, ascend, so to speak. And um, it gets to a point where his wife decides to, she tries to leave him at one point, but she ends up coming back. But then he beats her in like his, his drunkenness. So clearly should have, should have left. She then decides that, you know what, the only way I could purge this from his life is if I set it afire, if I set it on fire. He has this one treasured piece of work called The Lady in Black. He's very much obsessed with. And she does, in fact, manage to burn down the house or burn down parts of the house and a chunk of his paintings. And at this, he's like, all right, yeah, we're completely done. And she leaves with her child. They had a daughter, just in case you weren't aware. What happens is while she's gone... She is involved in another accident involving fire. They don't really stipulate exactly what it is. And she is now horribly disfigured and she's deformed and she's wheelchair bound. And he at this point, you know, he he does feel bad about what has happened to his family. So he he finds them finally and brings them back to the house, even though he's still so fixated on doing this grandiose thing. She starts to recoup. She starts, you know, being able to walk again. And he completely loses interest in his his wife because, you know, she's so horribly disfigured that she has no beauty to him. And if there was no beauty in you, then he completely disengages. And I mean, he does have some engagements with his daughter, who was very young in the course of the game. But um, it gets to a point where his wife can't bear it anymore, that she's completely like ignored by him, that she kills herself. There's a lot of things that drive him to this brink of less than humanity. 
there are several different endings to this game because clearly you have your good end, the uh, end, and the holy shit, the like the completely bad end. You actually, through playing through all the endings, find out that one of them after she killed. By the way, is this about to be a spoiler for Layers of Fear? Because if if yeah, yeah, sort of. So you should say. Guys, spoilers. The, I mean, spoilers. I mean, I just told layers you like the whole fear, story. Spoilers. So, so layers <laughs> of fear. Spoilers. Just in spoiler. case. Spoiler. Though in one of the endings, like I said, she she kills herself, and you find out that he takes six parts of her body, and then uses them to create this masterpiece. He takes her skin and stretches it out, and it's like the canvas, and like he uses her hair in a brush to paint. It gets dude. Re- it gets dude. real fucked up, dude. It dude. gets real fucked up, dude. and he keeps one of her eyes so that the the eye could be the witness to his masterpiece. Like it's twisted, dude. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And uh, dude. And, and 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 depending on the ending, like the bad ending, he he finishes the painting and it's of his wife, like not disfigured or anything, like just a standard picture of his wife. But he's to him, they, he, she looks deformed and nasty. And he like throws his painting into this room. And this room has a, many other identical pictures. So he's just been painting the same thing for God knows how long. And as he throws it into this room full of paintings, they all begin to laugh at him. And it's just like, oh, man, like it's so it's such a mind trip like it is. Clearly, if he gets the good ending, he actually creates his masterpiece, which is actually a picture of him. And I'm not even going to unpack what that symbolizes because that's vanity if I've ever seen it. And I mean, in the neutral end, once again, they're they're pictures of his wife, but they don't like laugh at him. And he's he just is not satisfied with his work. There was some downloadable content that came, I want to say, a couple of months after the initial release of Layers of Fear, where you played through his daughter's experiences. And she okay. goes and she goes back to the house way later and she's investigating it because it's still just as decrepit. And like there are pictures of her mother and the artist throughout and depending on which paths you take kind of dictates how the story ends for the daughter whereas if at the end of that as the daughter you you kind of view your father in a favorable light which is kind of seen as like the the good ending you kind of recognize that you know art takes an interesting form sometimes and then the bad end obviously you you don't side with your father and I think you trash a couple of paintings. I didn't play the DLC, but clearly you show your rage against the man who's done horrible things to not only you, but your mother. And then there's the true ending from the DLC where there are these colored paintings that I guess you as the daughter or the daughter painted while she was little. And if you collect all nine of them, which is like a nice, like kind of slender man reference, you're running through this decrepit Mm -hmm. area trying to collect these clues. And if you assemble them all together, they are a map. And the map will take the daughter to this location. And the location is pretty much a pristine art studio. And there's like a letter from the artist pretty much telling her that, you know, mental illness runs in this family. So you either accept it and you accept your gift or you run from it. And she decides that she's going to run with it. And there's a canvas in the middle of the room. And when you when she reveals the canvas, 
it's her mom's skin. <laughs> and, she's, and she starts the, the devolvement like her father did. There's so many <laughs> layers uh, to it. Uh, so many layers I to it. I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't like it. But like I said, I'm bringing it up because they talked about it at PAX East this year um, that the sequel was coming. Apparently, we're getting a completely new story, so we're not delving with the same family anymore, which I think... Okay. So that's kind of good. However... From what I've seen from the blobber, t- the blobber team, that they're going to push the scares to a completely new space, which, I mean, I don't know about you, but old Victorian houses that haven't been upkept, I mean, even when they're upkept, like, I still always find periodic places, like, not all landscapes, but, like, things that have been maintained at their their peak are always kind of a little eerie to me. There's just something about that lock of time where I'm like, I'm just, I get anxious. I I get anxious. I don't know if it's just like old ancestors reaching through time telling you like in your soul, like this is not cool. But, but I feel you on that because there are times where, you know, I've gone on historic tours of homes and things like that. And every time I walk into a Victorian place and I don't know if it's just because they're settings that are used so often in thrillers and horror movies that I'm also preconditioned to it. I mean, it but could be a mixture I, of that. I feel the same thing that you're talking about. Like, I walk in, I'm just like, any minute now, a ghost is just going to come out here and reach and take my soul, or there's going to be a well, dog I mean, I think, I that's going to be really Victorian, fucking weird around the corner. I feel like Victorian architecture, architecture really kind of, one, lends itself well to the suspense And horror genres, because, you know, you have your long, narrow hallways, you have these, you have these houses with more rooms than there were ever people in the house. Mm -hmm. Like you could, you could have a giant family in one of these houses and barely ever see them. Well, and, and it's also kind of the, the designing of, you know, the heavy, everything was very grand. You know, you have these heavily carved massive bookcases and ornate mantles and fireplaces and grand staircases. And then in almost all of those places, you have, you know, crawl spaces that are made, you know, that you have the hidden in plain sight kind of mini rooms and doors. So it, the, the style itself itself lends itself very, very well to the genre. And I think that's why one, you'll see so many of them set in a, in a period like that. So, I mean, I get that, but I mean, very much like we were talking about, like, I just, I wouldn't, it's not a fear for me. Mm-hmm. It's very much just like a smoldering tension. I could possibly have like played a game where like I walked through a room just like this. Oh, there's a, happens to be a piano in the corner. Oh, how convenient. Moonlight Sonata is sitting on it. That's, yep, nope, bye. <laughs> kind of deal. But uh, but they want to push their scares. And I think that a lot of people were already kind of attributing Layer of Fear's style towards PT, even though Layers of Fear came out before PT did. But I think with the additional DLC that we've seen them take the perspective that PT did with that first person, very realism scenario and really kind of bring that to the forefront. I kind of hope with this second layers of fear that one, we're playing again with an artist. Cause I think one, I think there's nothing. No, I shouldn't say nothing. Cause that makes it sound like it's an absolute and I'm not a Sith. <laughs> I believe that 
artists, and not even just necessarily painters, just any artist, any person who creates something out of nothing is an artist. Whether you're mm-hmm. good or bad, that is up to the art critics, and even then, some of them don't even really know. But, well, and really, it's up to you, but continue. But, I, but I'm always intrigued by stories where someone's God-given talent and passion is so... I'm going to, for lack of a better descriptor, raw. And it's just so tapped into their essence that it just, it's neither good or evil. It really shifts like waves in an ocean. Like it's just so unpredictable in a way that you just, you, you don't know. And at the end of it, you have art either well, way. I think- I, I kind of interpret it a little bit differently, but very similarly. I think that when you're dealing with somebody that is creative, you have to be passionate. You have to kind of have a unique view or see things or feel things in a way that is different from the societal norm, right? Right. And so anybody that walks that line, I think... You know, there's that thin line between genius and insanity. And I think creatives tap dance on that sucker all the time. So I think that the creative world, you know, to your point, artists, that 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 is a very easy place to, as a person that's either aspiring to be creative or non-creative, it's very easy to see how someone can just warp just that little bit over the line one way or another. And in that understanding, then it becomes uncomfortable because you can understand how that could happen. So you can realize that it can happen. But the ways and how deep that that perversion, whether it's to the positive or the negative goes, I think then becomes an interesting journey that, you know, is a curiosity, right? Right. And so I think that artists really lend themselves well. The tortured artist idea, especially lends itself very well to the suspense, thriller, horror genres. Okay, I agree. So so I I agree with you. I get to it from a little bit different place. Yeah. Now, yeah, so as for- you brought up PT, I have a question, though, for you. Okay, great. I like questions. It's been a while since we've heard or seen anything about Death Stranding. Yeah. What, is there a question? Yep. So my question is, E3 is around the corner. You know, June is coming quickly. Do you think that we're going to get a release date at E3 this year for Death Stranding? And if you do, when do you think it will be? And what do you want it to be? Okay, well, I mean, mean, one, the easy part of that question. It's been quiet since last E3. To answer the easiest part of that question, when do I want it? I want it now. I wanted it last year, but that wasn't going to happen. So that one I can cross off. Do I anticipate that we will get a release date at E3 this year? Believe it or not, I am very hopeful, and I think we will. Okay. They've been so quiet about it since last E3. The key in this industry is to give a solid nugget to keep it in not necessarily the forefront of your consumer's mind. Like with any good date, you want it lingering around enough 
to make the person think about it. Maybe not in a, oh my God, I want to go back on this, but like, oh man, that was really nice. Mm, I remember that. And like you want to build that, that deep-rooted thread of a bond between you and that thing. And I think that it's getting to a point where that layer between Death Stranding's demographic and its consumers to the development has kind of been stretched. And now we're getting to that really thin film of a connection. So they need to do something to reinvigorate it in our minds and our souls and our wallets a little bit. Okay. And I mean, at last E3, they gave us so many things for us to dissect. And we're kind of a really strong theory and dissect culture right now. People are, I think, dev houses and development teams that put all this love, care, and passion into these games. And put these Easter eggs in there, hoping people will find them. Like, I think now we've we've put on the the magnifying glasses, you know, metaphorically... Now we love digging for those nuggets. So I think there's this deeper validation now between the two sides of this this commercial circle. And I think it'd be advantageous for them to give us a release date and show us a little bit more. But like obviously this is Kojima. So you know, we're not going to get a straight answer here and I and I would be mad if he gave me one. <laughs> I mean, delete the the date. Yeah, I want definitively to know when to expect this game so that I can save up a solid week of not going to work so I can have a staycation at home with Death Stranding because there's just so much that's going to be going on in this game. Now, when do I think this this date will happen? Yep. I do not anticipate that we will see Death Stranding, Death Stranding in 2019. Okay. I strongly feel that this will be a 2020 release. I'd love to say first quarter, but I actually think probably closer to second than first. Okay. And my only reasoning for that is, for me personally, and I like I I don't profess to understand anything about <laughs> Kojima. At all, which I think is part of part of his charm and his whimsy. But there's just something about the numbers 2020 to me that just seems mon- monumental in a way. Okay. I don't know if it's the whole mirror palindrome type of situation or not. And I just think that because there are so many layers to the story that he he and his team are you know nurturing and caring for very much like a like a baby and most of these products are very much like children to the people who make them but i mean he's always tried to be five steps ahead of his already two steps ahead team so like there's there's just too many things i think working or trying to work right now that if they told me that this game was coming out in 2019, I'd be worried about it. Okay. I'd be like, okay, maybe they're skipping out on something or, you know, or they decided to cut something for time or they cut something out for DLC. And like, not that I anticipate that Kojima would operate that way, but I would be concerned if they're like, yep, and it's coming out July 2019. I'd be like, ooh, no. I would be concerned for the game if it came out too early. To me, Kojima games are like, my collard greens. They take a long time. But they are so good when you get them. 
that they are worth the wait. And if you ever meet someone who tells you that they can make mouth-watering greens in 30 minutes, you need to slap them in the mouth. Agreed. That's a, that's a bull-faced lie. That's a bull-faced lie. And I, I agree with that. I guess for me, where I'm kind of sitting is what we do know is they have brought in a heavy-hitting cast, you know, with Lindsay Wagner and Mads Mikkelsen and, of course, Norman Reedus. And that it is a Guillermo del Toro and Kojima project as well. Right. 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 Like this is there's budget behind this one. OK. And there's the respect of letting Kojima do Kojima's thing. I mean, and there's also the respect to let Del Toro tell a do, story. Right. Right. So I don't think that they're going to rush the game. I do think, however, they need to give a date. Yes, like I said, we're getting, getting, it, we're it getting, can't be just another like, what the fuck did I just see trailer? I mean, don't get me wrong. I'll take one of those, too. I mean, I'm going to enjoy watching it. Give me that. But, like, no, they have to give us something definitive. So I clearly feel that we are going to get a date. But like I said, if we get a date that is this year, I would be worried. Even if it's holiday? You know, I I still am going to say yes on this. Okay. I, I am. Because... That's still going to feel rushed to you. It, it, for, for these two narrative, creative masterminds. Because it's only been two years. Yeah. Right. Would I still play it? Absolutely. But I feel like, I feel like I would go on this date with this very attractive, very charismatic man. And it'd be a great date and we would have a great time. But I'd walk away feeling like something's missing. That's fair. That's okay, what so I, now, that, that's what I think. So now I have another question for you. Okay. Would you be okay if at E3 you didn't get a date for release, but you got a date in 2019 for a playable demo? Ooh, that is a ooh. Okay. So <laughs> I asked a good question. That's a good question. That's good. I'm going to clap. That's a good question. If they gave me a date for a playable demo, I feel like to seal the deal for me personally, uh-huh. they, would, they would have to show me more of the mechanics of how the game will play to entice me to that demo. If, if so you're it, you're not a done deal on the demo if they announce no, the demo. No, because here because here's no because for this type of narrative, I don't I don't I in this case I don't even want to call it narrative based game because I mean this is Del Toro and Kojima. Narrative is like as natural as air rushing through their lungs, but right. for lack of a better word, right now I'm just this this strong focused narratively this game. They threw us a whole bunch of symbolism, but they didn't really show us how we were going to achieve this this dream state that they're going to present to us in this media form. And I would want 
to see someone play it live at E3. I'd want to see some of the more fleshed out mechanics to the game because I'm not expecting them to have nearly all of that figured or fleshed out per se. But I would need I would need to see an intriguing mechanic that maybe I've seen in another game and it just didn't gel, but it gels here. Because I feel like if you don't give me that nugget, I would go into the demo, one, just trying to pick apart the narrative stuff, which would kind of pull me out of the narrative experience that I would get when I played the game a little bit. Okay, okay. Because because this is, this is a purely narrative-based, you know, experience we're getting, and I don't want to be, I don't want to say soured, because soured isn't the right word, but I don't want to get any exposure to any of the significance of the narrative before it's ready, before it's mature. So if they gave me an interesting mechanic, then I'd be like, okay, I can, I can jump into this to play around with that scope because that's something I'm not familiar with and I won't feel too bad personally about the amount of the narrative that I will probably take away from playing the demo. Or if they did this demo, I would kind of want them to put it in the same kind of framing that Resident Evil 2 did with one shot where you have 30 minutes of a game and it's not like you don't have access to the full game. The demo just ends in 30 minutes. So whatever you you uncover in that 30 minutes, well, that's it for you, which makes the experience very personable and like tailor-made for you and not just experience for everybody else playing the demo. So like there'd have to be some restrictions to it. Like I'd want there to be some nuance to it if they were going to do it, I think. But if, okay, if but if, yeah, that, that'd be it for me. But I mean, one, I'm totally buying it regardless. And two, like, I mean, I think it's just one, just one. I'm going to buy it at the end. No list here. <laughs> Fuck lists. Right. right. But yeah. Well, so I, I've been thinking about it because, uh, you know, Death Stranding is one of those games where I, I live on the fence about it because I love Kojima games. You know, I've I've enjoyed every Metal Gear game that I've played, but I also know what Guillermo del Toro is capable of creating in his stories. Like I, I have watched quite a few, not all the way few, all the way through all the time of his movies, and I I love his aesthetic, his storytelling. I love the way he develops a character, the way that he even thinks of who to play the roles uh who he casts is always amazing and they're they're always the perfect person to bring that character to life but i also know that he's really good at scaring the shit he's out of me he is because one of, of those the masters of theater horror. of the mind guy yeah yes. he's a theater of the mind guy and and that that messes me up more than gore like gore all day long like that doesn't bother me well i mean that's Jumps- like a very surface level Ooh, that's gross right but, like, to right. find someone who's able to tap into that little sliver that 
you personally have like guarded and protected for your entire life and he just finds a way to weasel in there and just lightly tap it like I acknowledge that this exists within you and no one else sees it but me and right. to know that someone has that that access into that deep part of you is terrifying and he's great at that he's superb at it so so I I sit on the fence personally about picking up Death Stranding because there is this, you know, in the back of my mind, for lack of a better term, fear that the game is actually going to tap into that and kind of be terrifying for me, personally. I mean, it, I think it's going to touch on a lot of those deep-seated strands. Like, uh, like, like I was able, and, I, and I, I was able to watch, and I absolutely enjoyed Shape of Water. Okay. Which I don't consider to be a, a horror film. Well, it's it, a, it's a subversion of the monster movie, right? So it is, but it isn't. But it, but isn't. it is though. But it is though. But it isn't. It isn't though. right? Or rather, and it's, I, it's once I again one that. of those things where you know he turns it on its head. It's like who's the real right. monster? Right. And I and I loved that. I loved that. Okay. But I just, there's so many things that I don't know about Death Stranding. So for me, Sony has to pony up something more tangible than another six-minute video. Which, don't get me wrong, I love the six-minute videos. I love the people, you know, trying to figure out and do all the conspiracy stuff and deciphering of all the videos that have been out so far. But I really do feel like this year... If Death Stranding's gonna come out of anybody's mouth, and I feel like it has to come out of somebody's mouth, what is needed, really, is either walking Norman Reedus out there to say a little something, wave to the people, show a video, and then... And then rip off a shirt with the date on it? Yes, I agree. Well, I mean, that would be fine. I would be completely fine with all of that. But then to have Kojima and Guillermo come out and say that you can get your first hands-on experience with just a touch of what we have planned, you know, and have a holiday date that you can actually download. I think, to your point, the best way to do it would be to do it similar to One Shot in that it's a, you have a single time through, timed limit, so you can get as far as you can get or not as far as you can get in this 30 minutes because I think that that's a very Kojima way of presenting it, of being like, look, you got one time with this. You can't come back and keep analyzing and keep analyzing and keep analyzing. I mean, granted, he he loved that that was what was happening with PT. Mm -hmm. Like, he loved that the community was reaching out across Mm -hmm. the the globe with all these nuggets. So, I mean, Mm -hmm. I feel like if he did this in in this structured you know, 30 minutes or however long you have to play demo that I feel he would strongly encourage the fan base to get together and oh, yeah, yeah. share what happened in their scenario. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that like it would be locked. So like you got one shot in 
for 30 minutes and I feel like everybody would be DVRing and capturing that and, and throwing it up. People would be live streaming it and everybody would be picking those things apart and all that kind of stuff. I'm not saying that that wouldn't happen, but I, I do think that they either need to it this year come out with the here you can get a taste of it yeah. or here's the date. And what I I think I would like as kind of the holy grail would be a marriage of the two. Like here's where you can get a taste of it and here's when it's going to be out. And here's the four, here's the full course meal. Right. Because I think for me personally, I need a taste to know if I should actually invest in buying because I am so on the fence. Because it's not typically my genre. It's not typically. No, it's mine. Yeah, it's it's not my shiggy. It's your shiggy. But I'm so interested in what these two creators can come up with that my curiosity is getting the better of me. And I just want a little bit of confirmation that actually it'll be okay and I should just jump in. I think the fear and the horror, and I mean, I actually kind of don't want to say horror just yet. Mm-hmm. But... I really the, think it's going to be more suspenseful than... I, I think so, too. What I think with, like, sprinklings of some... some uh, tropish, like very light on the tropish, because I mean, one, as we've established earlier, Del Toro likes to subvert expectations, as does Kojima. So, I think we're gonna get a very fresh perspective on what horror and fear and suspense can look like in a very foreign setting. I am strongly intrigued. I am a fish on the line. Reel me up, Daddy. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not on the hook, but I keep like swinging, swimming by it, being like, "That's a mighty nice worm you have there." <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Those are some good fucking questions, bro. Thank I really you. had to every, think about that. Every once in a while, I come up with good stuff. It's like, whoa. But it's important because it's been, like, since E3, radio silent. And when Kojima and, and Sony is radio silent on something, either it's because, like, a big dick is about to flop out on a table. It's like, he's or, my wang. Right. Or it's absolutely not ready and they don't want to talk about it at all, actually. And they're hoping that people are forgetting. But I think that we've been through enough of the big hype beast now and we've gotten, you know, we're on the other side of Fortnite. We're, you know, on the other side of Bungie leaving Activision. We're on the other side of all these studio acquisitions by Xbox that, you know, my brain turned to, hey, there was this other thing that we were crazy hype about. And oh, by the way, there's been like nothing recently, nothing recently anywhere. Like, I haven't seen any dev diaries. I haven't seen any, like, photos popping up of, like, Norman Reedus anywhere. So my brain was just because like, he's as in we're sitting here. suits doing shit. I know that. So then my brain goes, hey, we're two years into this now. Most cycles are four years. You gotta start giving us something, or people are just gonna feel like it's vaporware. Yep. Because remember, we've been down this road before with PT, and everybody was hype about what that game was going to be after that experience. 
And then it didn't happen because, you know, Konami. And and then it got wiped off the face of the earth. Yep. And for some people, even holding on to the PT demo didn't last very long because for some Mm -hmm. of them, it got pulled. Yep. Systems. So, So I'm just in a space now where I'm kind of like... I'm not nervous yet, but if I don't start to to hear again and see again some movement and traction forward, I'm going to be very nervous. Okay. Duly noted. All right. So the last thing that I have as we're getting close here on time, just a real quick one. Like I said, ending on a positive note, although I think the conversation we just had about dress training was majorly, majorly positive. I agree. It popped out on Twitter. So until I see, like, official releases yet, I'm still going to refer to this as a rumor. Okay. Rumor has it. But it doesn't, it won't surprise me if this is actually very true. But it's rumored that Xbox is going to be announcing sometime this month a subscription bundle for Xbox, specifically bundling together in one price point Game Pass, and Xbox Live. Holy shit. Now, the reason why I I bring it up, because you know me, I don't like to to live in rumor land because so many things are not true and they're they're vapor. What I will say is, you know, when you look at the earnings statement that Microsoft released for 2018, they cite that their biggest area of growth in gaming specifically came from services... And third party. And when they talk about services, they're talking about Xbox Live, Game Pass, and Mixer. Okay. We've already seen, you know, interviews with some of the leadership from Xbox, you know, Phil Spencer, as well as Satya Nadella. They have talked about, you know, not specifically saying the numbers, but that Games Pass as a whole has outperformed most of what they forecasted. And we've seen... You know, just in how they're marketing themselves, that Games Pass is taking more of a forefront in the digital marketing space. So they they definitely seem to or appear to be doubling down on the service. So it would make sense to bubble bundle their two subscription services together so that you're not, you know, having multiple renewals and things like that into one low fee. Uh, according to the rumor... It looks like the bundled Xbox Live Gold and Games Pass would be $14.99 a month. Now, for some people, that's a big savings because Games Pass by itself is like, I believe it's like $10 or $11 a month. And if you're going the monthly route with Xbox Live Gold, I believe that that's another $15. I I pay for gold by the year because I'm like, I'm going to be playing randomly throughout the year. So I don't want to jump and be like, I want to play with people now. It's like, oh, you're out of live. So you need some more. Uh, so I, I buy it by the year. So I'm not personally familiar with what the the monthly cost is. But basically, the $14.99 price point is estimated at like a 5 or $6 savings if you're buying them independently each for each month. Uh-huh. Um, because I also do Games Pass the same way. I I buy Games Pass a year at you're a time. About, you're about gaming on a budget. I do. I'm, I like to be smart about that money. If I can save five bucks by just going ahead and doing the whole year, and we're talking, you know, less than a $70 hit at the time, then I'm going to do it. 
So I do. And I actually have a couple of years of Xbox Live Gold stacked. And I have two years of Game Pass stacked. Because I'm not sure if people are aware, but when it comes to the Xbox side of the world, when it comes to buying the subscription services, Xbox Live Gold and Game Pass, you can actually buy multiple years at a time. So if you get, you know, redeem codes, you can stack them for up to, uh, I believe, five years on Xbox Live Gold. And it's either three or five for Games Pass. So... You know, if you're like, hey, for my birthday and, you know, you're in that adult area where people can buy you a gift for your birthday in the range of, you know, 50 or $60, but you can just get me, you know, a year games pass. Just get me that code, bro. You can buy it from Amazon, have it digitally delivered and go to a store and pick up a card. That's cute. I'm just going to put the, the code in and be done with it. I'm not going to keep the card, but you can stack them. You See, can give them I gifts. keep cards, but I'm sentimental AF. I keep cards, but I don't keep, like, digital gift cards after I've used them. No, I meant, like, actual cards. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking about, like, the digital gift card. Oh, okay. So, I think if it is true, it is a ballin'-ass move for Xbox to make. Because it's really giving a value specifically to the folks that are living the digital lifestyle. So, like, the disc-less Xbox One S people. And frankly, it, to me, makes sense if if they're pushing more towards, you know, they showed off their cloud platform stuff in their most recent Inside Xbox thing, where they were showing their game anywhere. So, like, you can be on your phone and have a controller, Bluetooth to it, and play games from, like, the cloud. If they're pushing really towards that whole digital lifestyle and take your games and play your games anywhere and just have access to games all the damn time, bundling Games Pass with Xbox Live makes hella sense. And if they do it, they've got a really, really interesting holiday in front of them because think about it. Picking up an Xbox, a new Xbox, if you don't have one, with a year of Live and a year of Games Pass, that wouldn't suck. No. Because that means right Christmas morning or whatever holiday you're picking those things up for, you open up the box, you now have 100 plus games that you can play and two free ones that you're downloading because you get games with gold. Games with gold. So that's a really, really attractive play. Again, it's all rumor. Saw it on Twitter. It got picked up by a couple of outlets as a story. Nothing's confirmed yet. But we're going to keep an eye on it. And if it turns out to be true, we're definitely going to talk it up even more. Mm-hmm. So that's it. That's what I got. Got some money savings, maybe sort of, kind of for you this week on the podcast. If you enjoyed the show, then please make sure that you subscribe to our podcast, which you can do by getting the link right from our website, electricsisterhood.com, as well as check out all the other amazing news, reviews, and previews that we have from all the content creators on our network on our site. Bookmark us so you can find us. We've got an RSS feed there on the site as well, so you can just bring it into your favorite RSS reader and see as soon as we put up new articles, you can check them out, read them, share them on your social, like them, all that good stuff. You can also get our podcast through iTunes, either on the desktop through the iTunes application 
or through the podcast application on your iOS device by searching for the Eshcast and subscribing. You can also get our podcast through Stitcher Radio, Google Play. You can find us on vognetwork.com, as well as some other amazing, amazing shows from a bunch of really fantastic content creators over there on the Voice of Geeks Network. So make sure that you check out vognetwork.com. Or you can just pretty much find us in any podcast aggregator out there on the web. So search for the Eshcast and subscribe, and that way you'll get our brand new episodes the moment we put them out on the web for your consumption. You can hit us up on our social and let us know if there's a game that you want us to check out or an anime you want us to review or you just want to say hi or you've got a question or there's something that you really think that we should review. You can catch us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash landofesh. We're also on Instagram at eshnews. And we're on Twitter at ESH News. So you can pretty much connect with us across all the major social media platforms. Hit us up and let us know. And if we think about your question or check out the recommendation you make, we will be sure to give you a shout out on the show when we talk about what you pitched us. If you're enjoying what we do here at then please make sure that you check out all the other amazing content creators that are part of our network of family. That includes our homie King Baby Duck over at B3Crew.com and his bi-weekly podcast show, No Borders, No Race. That includes our homie Hamsterman2049 over on his site, SmashedRook.com. And he also does live stream game plays every Wednesday night at 9 Eastern on Twitch. You can get the links right there on his website, SmashedRook.com. One of my favorite humans on the planet, Phil the Issues Guy with Phil's Recap and Review, which you can find on YouTube. Subscribe, hit the bell, get notifications when new episodes go out. He has some of the most enjoyable recap content that I've ever seen on YouTube. You can chat, be part of the show live, and also check out some of his live random stuff that he's doing on Twitch as well. Again, links on his website. And then last but certainly not least, the homies over at NerdCrave.com, keeping you up to date with all the stuff that nerds crave. Whether it's comic books, anime, video games, music, manga, movies, or more. If it's nerdy at all, the nerds over at NerdCrave.com are talking about it. So please make sure that you check out all of our sites, all the stuff that we're creating across a bunch of different mediums. Hit us up, interact with us. We love doing what we do because we enjoy this community and it's time for us to call this one done. So as always, I'm Ninja Sister. And I'm Pandalicious. Until next time, folks. Titties and waffles.